So the most recent round of sermons that you've been hearing were without a prompt from the rabbi, uh, who gave us the opportunity to choose what we want to preach about. As I pondered over topic ideas, one came up that I found to be very practical, uh, yet pretty complicated and even somewhat controversial. So of course this seemed like a good idea for me to pursue, right? So if anyone, is, if anyone here has been a patron of Skokie Library within the past two to three months, and you've used the east entrance or studied at one of the tables overlooking the village green, you may have noticed a woman who claimed the platform area of the village green as her home for a number of weeks. I frequently would walk by this area when walking around the neighborhood with Gershon uh, or coming to and from the library, and I also enjoy the view of the green uh, from the tables on the second floor library as I you know, would study for my Hebrew final. So this really was a bit strange to see, since although I'm sure many of us have seen and observed homeless people in Skokie, uh, rarely seen anybody set up camp for an extended period of time, especially in such a public place. I mean, literally, she set up camp on an elevated platform for everybody to see. Um, I'm unsure about the, the laws regarding where, uh, regarding homelessness. Um, it's not necessarily, I think, within the legal system that people can just set up uh, wherever they want, um, even on public, uh, well, it's private property, the, the library owns it, but then Skokie at large owns it. I actually think Rachel said it's, it's owned by, um, by the village. So it's public property, but you can't necessarily create your home wherever you want. Um, so there's ways that, we, that, that the public and society deals with this. You know, you offer um, the, the social services that are available, and, and people will be directed toward those services, or they will refuse, and you know, something will pursue, a solution will come. Um, but this woman decided that uh, this is where she was going to continue to claim her home. And as I understand it, was uh, refusing of any offered services otherwise. She had a so social worker that would come and visit her and help her out, but this was her home and her decision. And this was really odd, um, this whole scenario, and, and it also created a bit, why it was odd is because uh, Skokie, if you've noticed everywhere they have these signs, Skokie welcomes everyone. So it's like, how can we put up these signs in Skokie everywhere, yet just you know, shove off some woman who is homeless and doesn't know where to go or what to do with herself? So this clearly was a, somewhat of an agenda in terms of allowing her to stay, not really knowing, knowing what to do about it. Um, but, of course, summer is on the way, and that platform is used regularly by Skokie Public Library for events. So something's going to have to be done eventually. Um, I have not seen her yet lately, but she was there for probably about a good two months or so, a good number of weeks. And as I observed her being there, um, you know, I, I understand this is unfortunate situation, uh, but even more unfortunate was watching her interact with the public. It wasn't just somebody down on their luck, hanging out, minding her own business. Uh, she would regularly yell at people. Um, she was not being pleasant by any means. Um, most of the time she attracted others. She, would, she was a chronic cigarette smoker, and she would attract other smokers to come up and share cigarettes with her. So, you know, smoking in, in the area... And um, also, what I, what I very specifically remember is watching people go back and forth, and one particular woman walking by with her daughter, 
And she's looking over at her, looking over and thinking, you could just tell the guilt in her about, I want to do something, but what can I do? I don't know what's the best thing to do. So she reaches in her her bag and pulls out an apple, walks up to her and, and, and with thinking, all right, well, I'm doing something. I'm really trying. Walks up, offers her the apple. And the woman, like, explodes at her. She grabs the apple and goes, I, I couldn't hear exactly what she was saying, but I could tell by the, uh, reading her lips. She goes, oh, thank you, an apple. Oh, I'm saved, I'm saved. Now I will never go hungry again. And she just chucks the apple. And all I could think about was that poor woman who just wanted to do something, wanted to at least try to acknowledge a human being suffering in her presence and just had it thrown back at her. Um, so this experience caused me to reflect on my own experiences uh, dealing with uh, my concern for, for poverty and for the, uh, specifically for those who would ask of something, who would beg and who are homeless. Um, my, my own experience, especially as I became a believer in Yeshua, uh, I felt like it was my duty to give unconditionally to those who would ask of me um, or seem to me to be in need. I really felt that this was... Um, without a full knowledge of the scripture, you know, I, we, everybody knows, yeah, Yeshua, he took care of the poor. He was always kind to the poor, and he would help people out. So I'm supposed to be like Yeshua, right? So I'm going to help out every homeless person I see. Uh, this was during a time I worked in downtown visiting a patient, so I saw a lot of people that, that were begging and would ask of it. Um, and I just started you know, doing things. I started buying sandwiches and giving it to them. I started giving money and trying to, to, to pray for them. Um, ultimately, I got really burned. Uh, I never had anything like stolen from me or, or was harmed or anything like that, but I started giving and I kept no- noticing the, the people coming back. Uh, I noticed a lack of appreciation. I noticed a lack of gratitude um, and just a desire to just keep, it's like a cat when they keep coming back for more. They go wherever they're being fed and just kept coming back for more. Hey, can, you know, man, can I get another one of those sandwiches? That was really good last time. And I was just so hurt by um, seeing no real uh, response, no real improvement, no real fruit from my efforts. So I I really didn't understand what was going on. I thought this is what I'm supposed to do as a believer, and this is how we help people. Uh, I was then counseled by fellow believers, discouraging me to give in such a way, and these these are trusted friends, and, it, and people that I, that I definitely would look to their advice. Uh, and they would say, well, because many of these individuals are asking for money because they are refusing what's being offered to them through social services. You know, they know where to go if they need real help. They're asking because they aren't going where they, tr- where they can get help. They've, they want to use the money for something else. They're just going to go buy booze or, or, or cigarettes or something. And others would also tell me that, well, the Bible teaches that people need to work and should not be given handouts through social systems such as welfare. Uh, as well as people saying, well, the body of Messiah is responsible. You know, it's not the government. It is the body of Messiah that needs to take on this responsibility and is responsible for helping the poor. Um, it shouldn't be, it should be through our willing effort and our willing tithing uh, of sorts. Um, and again, this is somewhat debatable if you look at the, if you look at the systems of old. Uh, most of the time it was required to give, but still that it should be done through community and through the body of believers. So perhaps what these friends told me was true. Uh, I, I have to agree with that to some degree, that it is true, but these are definitely in what seem like harsh generalizations, 
often without any real follow-up. We can say these things in order to feel better about ourselves for not giving, but if we're reading scripture, it gets a bit more complicated. And not to mention, if we're, if we're saying no to these methods, I, I wasn't seeing within the body of believers and within you know, the larger conservative branch of, of, of Christianity an actual real response or, or an, an alternative effort in that way. Um, it seemed very cold and just lacking in any real action. So the dilemma is that I find myself at odds or I've found myself at odds with the literal commandments in Scripture regarding the poor and what I have heard is a response from many in the body of Messiah. So preparing this sermon has given me the opportunity to take a more in-depth look and reflect on this complicated issue. So I titled this sermon, To Give or Not to Give, an attempt, and again I say attempt, to find a biblical response to the issue of poverty and homelessness. I know there I have not come up with a solution yet, but at least maybe we can take a look at what the Bible says and what, uh, how God and Scripture lead us in order to respond. So first, uh, let's take a look at what are the problem texts, uh, the verses that I find to be problematic when, when I see the typical response from the body of Messiah, and yet what does Scripture say very directly? So let's turn to Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 11. This is on page 186. Page 186, Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 11. And I'll begin reading. At the end of every seven years, you are to cancel debts. This is how you are to cancel debts. Every creditor is to release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He must not force his neighbor or his brother to repay, for Adonai's debt cancellation has been proclaimed. A foreigner you may force, but your hand is to release whatever your brother owes you. However, there should be no poor among you, for Adonai will surely bless you in the land Adonai your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. If only you would carefully listen to the voice of Adonai your God, being careful to do all these, mitz all these mitzvah that I am commanding you today. For Adonai your God will bless you as he promised you, so you will lend to many nations, but not borrow. You will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. If there is, any, if there is a poor man among you, any of your brothers within any of your gates in your land that Adonai your God is giving you, you are not to harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. Rather, you must surely open your hand to him, and you, mu and you must surely lend him enough for his need, whatever he is lacking. Watch yourself, so there is no unworthy thing in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near, and your eye is evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing then he may call out to Adonai against you, and it will be a sin upon you. You must surely give to him, and your heart is not to be grieved when you give to him. For because of this thing, Adonai your God will bless you in all your work and in every undertaking of your hand. For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. Therefore I am commanding you, saying, you must surely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. I'm going to focus again on verses 7 through 11. If there is a poor man among you, any of your brothers within any of your gates, in your land that Adonai your God is giving you, you are not to harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. Rather, you must surely open your hand to him, and you must surely lend him enough for this, his need, whatever he is lacking. 
Watch yourself so there is no unworthy thing in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of canceling debts, is near, and your eye is evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. Then he may call out to Adonai against you, and it will be a sin upon you. You must surely give to him, and your heart is not to be grieved when you give to him. For because of this thing, Adonai your God will bless you in all your work and in every undertaking of your hand. For there will never, be, there will never cease to be poor people in the land. Therefore I am commanding you, saying, You must surely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. So very specifically, we are told not to be judgmental towards the person. Uh, we see verses saying, Give. Open your hand. Do not judge. Do not question. Do not wonder whether or not you're going to see any return on your investment. Give. All right, what do, I, what do we do about that? This is pretty direct. I've just read the text. We can talk about what it says, of course, but if we're just reading that, what is it saying? All right. Now let's turn to Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 10. This is found on page 116. Page 116, Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, as well as 18b. So Leviticus 19, 9 through 10 says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very corners of your field, nor are you to gather the gleanings of your harvest. You are not to pick the remnants of your vineyard, nor are you to gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. Instead, you are to leave them for the poor and for the outsider. I am Adonai, your God. And of course, everyone's favorite, Yeshua's favorite, Leviticus 19, 18b, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, taken perhaps a bit out of context, but we know this verse, and we know it as the golden rule. So what do we see here? We see unconditionally giving to the poor, a, a commandment of practice in order to leave something behind, to shave off a portion of your income or your harvest, for whoever is to come along and gather it, for the poor and for the sojourner. There is no judgment of who it is. It is simply unconditionally giving towards this person. Uh, and then again, that, the, the, the love your neighbor as yourself. This, this reigns throughout all we talk about. So how does this implicate us in terms of what we are to do in response to those who ask for, for what they need, in terms of those who would ask for assistance and for help? Okay, let's now turn to Matthew 5, verse 42, page 911. And I'm now remembering Rachel had suggested I put these on a PowerPoint. Uh, forgive me for not doing that. But we do have our Bibles, so that works out well. Page 911. Matthew 5, verse 42. Give to, the one who asks, give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. The silence is to add effect because that's it. That is all Yeshua has said. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, I'll be honest, the response to this, when I read a verse like this, 
And in fact, Rachel's very response when I was going through this sermon and asking her about it, she, well, let me see the commentary. There's got to be commentary. No, such a nondescriptive commandment must demand commentary. I mean, Yeshua can't just be talking about give to anybody, right? I mean, all right, let's look at the commentary. Okay. Oh, okay. ESV commentary says, Christians should help those who are truly needy, truly needy, and therefore forced to beg, but they are not required to give foolishly. Oh, no. Cross-reference uh, chapter 7, verse 6. Or to a lazy person who's not in need. Cross-reference 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Or where giving would bring harm rather than benefit. Oh, relief, right? Doesn't mean we have to actually do what Yeshua said here. Um, but unfortunately, guys, that's not what the text actually says. That's what the commentary says. That's what the interpretation says. But what does the text say? Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. If we're just going off of that, you can definitely understand where the conflict is, where, why this is very complicated, because the text is very clear in what it says. Our commentary only in, should then inform our response, but we've got to go by what the text says. But obviously there's still more to all of this, and I'm going to give you guys one last one. James 2, 14 through 17, page 1160. Last verse of this problem text. James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in shalom, keep warm and well-fed, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is that? So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. So what is this saying to us? This is saying... Don't just pray for them. Do something. Don't send them off without what they actually need. Do something. So I take all of these verses, and I don't know exactly what to do. This tells me I'm supposed to be doing something. I'm supposed to be giving. I'm supposed to be giving to the one who needs something. Now, of course, there's some response texts, right? Uh, if you want, you can turn... With these, I'm going to go through them real quickly. Matthew 7, verse 6, page 913. These were those cross-references in response to what Yeshua said in Matthew 5. So Matthew 7, 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs or throw your pearls before pigs. Otherwise, they will trample them under their feet, then turn and rip you to shreds. So this just adds more confusion to the, to the whole equation, to be honest. This is a bit of a, of a metaphor for um, not giving to those who would not appreciate what you give to them. Do not give what is holy. Um, give your offering. So this is a, a text that is used in response to Yeshua's verse in Matthew 5. Um, and I get it, but it it's even just makes things probably a little more complicated, to be honest. And then we have 2 Thessalonians. Now, this one is everybody's favorite in response to Yeshua's direct commandments to give and the, and the commandments within the Torah to give. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, page 1136. Aha! 
For even when we were with you, we would give you this order. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. There you go. Don't give. Because if he's not working, he doesn't deserve to eat at the table. Okay, this is also a piece of scripture. But everything I just went through, uh, I, and this is also, we're talking, we're talking about one um, verse within one letter directly to the, to the Thessalonians. So, you know, could this be an improper context? Could this be focused on that context? Uh, two verses versus everything I just went through, this is a pretty compelling argument. Uh, I, I don't see the argument about, about our response being as strong as, as I have seen it be amongst the body of believers. Now, of course, Scripture must be studied as a whole, not through isolated verses. The same problem can come from me isolating those verses and not understanding the context or other texts as well. And the larger message of, of Scripture, uh, this must be considered to make sense of how we reconcile these verses um, with our need to care for the poor. Not to mention, if you consult uh, a Bible, if you consult a, a, a reference that talks about all of the verse that shows you all the verses where we talk about being responsible to the poor, I, it is all throughout the Torah, the prophets. It is it is overwhelming when we talk about our responsibility uh, to help those in need. So let's try to take a deeper look at the text to reconcile this issue, because I think we can come to a bit of a, of a compromise here. So some of the words to consider in this whole equation, uh, one of them is that you heard the word brother used over and over again. When we're talking about who we're actually helping, we have the word brother, uh, which is ach. Now, brother means just that, your brother, not your bro, not your broski, not your brother. It is your flesh and blood brother, at least in where it is used in the Hebrew text. So this person, when, when, it, when, the, when in the various passages it's talking about who you're helping, this actually person who it's directed to and who it's referring to is your family. This is somebody who lives with you, is a part of B'nai Yisrael, lives within the land. So it is obvious then that you do have a higher than normal responsibility to this person's welfare. As well as in the New Covenant text, when brother is used, it refers, it would then refer to your family, but it then begins to have an even broader meaning, which would include your spiritual brothers, fellow believers who become part of your family with a bond that is, according to Yeshua, stronger and with even more responsibility than blood family. So, this kind of adds to the equation now, that when it's telling us who we're responsible towards, who we're giving towards, when we say your brother, in our modern context, we think, oh, this man, on the, he's my brother. Well, that's actually not what the Hebrew and even what the Greek would say. We're talking about people whom you have a family responsibility to, people you have a spiritual responsibility to. Uh, now let's also talk about the word neighbor. Love your neighbor. Uh, it's re'ah, which can also mean friend or fellow or companion. So Rabbi Ira Stone points out that 
Um, this word is actually derived from the same root as the word for pasturing or shepherding. The definition of my neighbor thus might be the person for whom I am responsible. Uh, the question, of course, becomes, who is the person for whom I, I am responsible? When I say neighbor today, well, we have a lot of neighbors. You have neighbors on your block. You have neighbors in your apartment and condo buildings. You don't necessarily know these people. You're not necessarily in community with these people. But in our modern-day context, that's, those are your neighbors. So when we think love your neighbor, oh, that must be the man beside me, living near me. It might be a stranger. It might be somebody that I should have some responsibility for. And I do think we should actually see our neighbors in some way. But when it's talking about neighbor in the Hebrew, it's talking about somebody who is in your community, somebody who is living within B'nai Yisrael, somebody who you have a responsibility for. I mean, very well might be your, your cousin, your actual blood relative, when it's talking about in, in the sense of the Hebrew. So we're going to talk a bit more uh, in, in a bit about um, who is my neighbor, but for now, let's consider, again, there's a level of responsibility to this person. And I would, again, see this as someone within your community. So this starts to change the viewpoint. This starts to say, well, it's, when, when Scripture is talking about this responsibility, this commandment, it's not talking about every single person that would come to you. Um, it's talking about somebody who is your family member, who is your community member, somebody whom you are responsible for. And that's not necessarily every person, every human being that you see. And let's also consider the word love, ahava, very complicated word, right? We use it so sparingly today. It's misused, misunderstood, based on our limited emotional and spiritual capacity. You know, we say, oh, I, I love this person. I love you. I love this. I love that. If we truly love people the way God does, the way we understand love is through what God does to love us. Our actions and our words, if we truly love somebody, are going to seek to provide the greatest and most fulfilling life experience for people. We should love everyone like God loves us. As a parent loves a child, this is, or as a man loves um, his spouse, this is going to be the most comparable love that we see. And God gives us this opportunity to understand it even better through these kinds of relationships. So this is not a love of I give you everything you need. This is a love of wanting the absolute best for somebody, being selfless, but choosing not to give them what they want, even if it is painful to watch the results. And I'm sure parents understand what that is like. So we're called to love our neighbor, but that doesn't mean necessarily give them everything that, that they want. It means that we have their best interests in mind and we respond in accordingly. So now let's consider also the greater context of these scriptures. So in the time of ancient Israel, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, when these are written, keep in mind, it is referring only to people within your land or who are permitted to travel within your land. So who is within the land, uh, the landmarks of the tribes of Israel? Well, it's only Israel. It's not, and if it's a sojourner, it's somebody passing through who has then is willing to submit to the law of the land, who is willing to become part of the people. So this is not somebody that comes in, does what they want, 
and asks of the people, this is somebody that when you look at them and if they are in need, you then know they are submitted to the same law that you are, to the same community, to the same structure. So you, can, you have a different relationship with them, a different sense of knowing who they are, what they're capable of, what they are doing with their life. And then your brother and your neighbor are meant to be people part of your community, part of a spiritual family. You have a responsibility to these people, but they also have a responsibility to the community. They abide in the community, submit to the community, and to the authority within the community, as well as God's rule. The community structure of ancient Israel was very different than today. It was, it was tribal. It was, it was tribes. Community ties were strong. You knew your neighbor. You knew their business. You had dinner with them regularly. You lived together. You worked together. Community ties were strong, and basically all your neighbors were your family, as it goes. And if they weren't, they were your distant relative. They were people that you were in direct relationship with. And everyone was submitted to the structure of the community. And again, the, the authority of the community, to God as king and to his Torah. To add to that, the continued sustainability and the welfare of the community depended upon everyone's contribution. Everyone's gifts and skills were needed to maintain and sustain the community. Everybody had to be in the field, or everybody had to be in the shops making something, doing something, or else the community could not survive. The community could not survive unless you were somebody who physically could not do anything. If you were fully dependent, you were struck with illness, you were struck with physical deformity, then you were dependent and the community took care of you. But if you, it's true, if you were capable, and to put it plainly, everybody worked and was expected to work and contribute. If your brother's crops failed and you were successful, well, he would come and work for you. He would become one of your servants. Even the sojourner who was traveling through or staying with your community was expected to submit to the rule of the community and to contribute. This is why God gave many laws to make sure you don't take advantage of either your brother or the sojourner who have become your workers. I mean, after all, what did God do after he created Adam or created man, Adam? Well, he put him to work. Gave, told him, go give names to all of my creations. So it is within Scripture that God has called us to use our strength, our bones, our blood, to use everything and the gifts he's, he's given us to function as a, member of a, as a contributing member of society. But those who don't have the ability, there is, we then care for those. But if you do have the ability, there is an expectation. And that's how the community structure worked in the time of ancient Israel. So clearly the context is informing our response. And let's think even in antiquity, the time of Yeshua. Although this community structure was, was a bit more challenged a bit during the Roman Empire, so you could have somebody nearby, you could have somebody within uh, the walls that were, that were Roman, that was not your blood brother, that was not somebody worshiping the God of Israel. But much of the same values and community responsibility remained intact for those who continued to worship the God of Israel. There still was the same tribal mentality within the community, but this is kind of where the beginning of the diaspora begins, even though we're still in the land. We're under a different rule. And the next thing we have to do is consider the complexity 
of this issue of poverty and homelessness. So I'm going to venture to say that I do not believe that the poor that are referred to in these verses are the modern-day poor and homeless we see today. Not, not, not in the way that we have it, not in whom we see and the person that is typically asking of us, asking for, for some form of financial uh, giving that is outside in the world. This is not who it's really talking about. As we said, we're talking about our brother who's down on his luck, our neighbor who is down on his luck, whose crops have failed, who has some sort of tragedy come over them, and they need your assistance to bounce back. So it seems like these, pe these are people that have simply suffered unfortunate financial incident, and if we gave to them what they needed, well, they probably would bounce back. But we're not to judge them for what happened to them. We're not to question them for how they're going to respond. Um, but we are trusting that God's fruit is going to be produced from this. And as I mentioned, these are people within the community, the community structure, and even they're part of the body of Messiah. So these are not like many of the poverty-stricken homeless we see today who are on the streets asking for your donations. Consider the element of mental illness and how this plays into it. Somebody who doesn't have the mental capacity to respond or to do what, is, what would be right with your given contribution to him. Consider drug and alcohol addiction. I mean, if somebody was suffering drug and alcohol addiction within the community of Israel, they would submit to some sort of healing, some sort of treatment. Not just be given handouts. They would, it would, the issue would be dealt with, and if they refused, well, to be honest, you'd probably be casted out because you're refusing to submit to community structure, to the health of the community and authority. And let's also consider homelessness as a disease of dependency. So mental illness and the dependency. There is much written today to better understand the issue of, of homelessness about how mental illness plays a part and how homelessness itself becomes a disease of dependency. There are videos out there of showing of how there are people who, if you interview them, they would say, yeah, I've chosen to be homeless. I have chosen to live off of people's handouts as I walk the streets and ask. And, I, and some people make enough living in like LA and living in pl wealthy places to get enough for a hotel on a regular basis, they're, they're not, so they're not necessarily homeless, but they'll go a night without it because that is the life they have chosen. And I watched a video just the other day about a young woman who was a hairstylist in Beverly Hills and said, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm gonna live on the streets. I don't wanna be tied to a mortgage. I don't wanna be tied to any job. I would rather go this route and not have any responsibility and just submit to the law of the streets to submit to the dangers of living, living homeless. There are people who do choose this as a, as a disease of dependency in a vicious cycle that keeps them in a place where they would simply ask rather than seek to contribute. This is a very complex issue, and it's not as simple as at least what we see in Scripture, that if you are to give to somebody that they would respond by continuing to be a contributing member of the community and to submit to the community. So God also calls us to be a positive and helpful force in people's lives. These are people that if we were, some people, if we were to simply give money without any significant life change, it might actually just continue to aid them in a pattern of destructive behavior. And let's also even consider beyond this the issue of the economy. 
lack of available jobs, lack of affordable housing. They're putting up this brand new giant housing space in Skokie. It's not going to be affordable. It's not going to be a place where people who are in need can find affordable housing. There's not a lot of places for people who just need the basics of a, of a, of a, of a small house, of a small place to live, a bed, to achieve that. And also there's not a good enough structure where, hey, let's connect people in order to to double up and triple up and just have a roof over their heads. We're very dependent on, on I want my space. I need my own space. I need to have, have my, my own privacy. You know, that, 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 is, that is a very American mentality, actually, of, of desiring that and, and not seeing other options, such as, well, living in very close quarters with a good bunch of people and lowering down rent. When I was single and I, I found a place to live with a group of guys, moody students, it was a three-bedroom apartment, which would have been very expensive if for three guys, but we had about three to four, and at other times more than that, people in each room. So rent was pretty darn low. It was very affordable. So these issues then also contribute to the problems that people have, that they sometimes are just down on their luck and need assistance, but there is no job available to them. There is no affordable housing. But the thing is, though, is that are these people submitted to any community? Have they sought out, maybe they're going from place to place, you know, jumping in. We've had people enter the building before, you know, just looking for assistance, but, you know, this is why you submit to a community. This is why you come to a community of faith. Why you should be, when you're so down in your luck, be open to the gospel of Yeshua. Because then you can become part of something where you can trust, as God even says, if we're truly abiding by God's commandments, there will be no poor among you. So we are called to love our neighbor, but as Rabbi Ira Stone points out, our neighbor is a constantly expanding category that could grow to include family, friends, ethnic and national affinities, and ideally, ultimately, all of humanity and all of creation. And then where are we? This insatiable desire may indeed be seen as an infinite desire, and the satisfaction of such an infinite desire is only possible by an infinite beloved. Why I bring up this is because we don't have the capability, as God has then said later in the Deuteronomy passage, well, because of sin, there is always going to be poor among you. So what are we supposed to do? We can't, I can't, if we were to respond to every single person that was in need, well, we would all go broke. So we need to then rely on God his strength, and for him to love and take care of all of our neighbors where we do not have the capacity. Because truly, in the body of Messiah, everybody, we will have a perfect uh, and, and unadulterated care for all human beings, but we don't have that capability yet. So for now, we have to rely on God. So in conclusion, the big idea I want to present to you guys is that God calls us to love the poor and homeless with a pure heart to offer unconditional support to those submitted to community and the body of Messiah, and to then rely on his grace and salvation to provide a true solution. So how do we apply this? Well, first, let's love the poor and homeless with a pure heart, but do something about it. God calls us not to be judgmental or bitter. Even if we're not going to choose to give to somebody, don't judge them. Don't, don't start to think, well, they're just going to use whatever I give them and buy cigarettes and, and continue in their life of sin. God doesn't call us to judge. 
the sinners in that way. He's going to judge the sinners. He calls us to be a light. So to truly love these people, it does not mean, it, it means to want the best for them, which sometimes also means saying no, but you still love them in the process. I want to recommend a book that I have yet to read, but I have heard very, very good things about. It's called When Helping Hurts, which talks about how the typical systems of trying to help people have not actually been helpful. That in this very way, God, in the way God loves us, we are to love people in the same way. And sometimes helping somebody who is, unwilling, who is unable or not in a place to help themselves is only going to hurt them, and that there's a different way to go about this. So I will say it, my conclusion from going through this process, looking at the scriptures, but then looking at the context, I would say, do not simply give to the stranger who begs from you. But don't just do nothing. Be willing to take someone out for a meal and spend time with them. The most beneficial and, and transforming experiences that I have heard of is when people did not choose to just give, but they, you know what, they used some of their time and some of their treasure to take somebody out, to spend time with them, to sit down and get to know this person. And then you know what, the, you, what you do? You give them the gospel. And you then point them to where they can get real help. People's lives have been transformed and saved in response to people taking the time to actually spend with somebody. So yes, you buy a meal from your friend, you might want to buy a meal for somebody who's in need, but don't just leave it at that. Give them what's truly going to heal them and bring them salvation. Next, seek to incorporate people into your life, your community, and the body of Messiah, and then care for those people unconditionally. So to those who would receive and utilize our help, encourage them to come into the community. Being a part of the community, a member, requires a commitment to discipline, accountability, structure, and a willingness to serve and submit to authority and to be trustworthy. But it comes with the benefits. For example, we have the Rosh Chodesh Fund. Give to the Rosh Chodesh Fund. That's one of our ways that you can be giving to something that you know is going to be helping those who are in need. Somebody in need comes to the community, comes to the elders, says, this is what my needs are, and what is needed is given to them because they are a member and part of the community. So do it in this way. And, last, and one more thing, leave it to the experts, but help them in their efforts. Poverty and homelessness are very complex issues that do not have simple solutions. There are dedicated brothers and sisters in Messiah that are doing excellent work to properly address these complex issues, such as the Pacific Garden Mission. They are working not only to meet the physical and mental needs of these individuals, but to also meet their spiritual needs by giving them the gospel. These places seek to be used by God to restore the entire person to a functioning member of society. Instead of giving the beggar $5, point them to places that will truly help them and use that money to put them on a bus to get them there. And in my opinion, we as a congregation should be doing more with our time, talents, and treasure to assist in the work that these places are doing. I would even say that we need to reevaluate our priorities and efforts as a congregation and focus more attention on helping the body of Messiah address the needs of the poor and give them the gospel to transform their lives since I do believe God puts a lot of weight on the mitzvot of caring for the poor. And as James said, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to care for orphans and widows, or those who have no one to care for them and provide for their needs, in their distress. And last but not least, frog, which stands for fully rely on God. At the core of this issue is of poverty and homelessness. It is a spiritual issue. 
and spiritual issues require spiritual solutions. God provides for people's needs and blesses people in ways that we cannot achieve. He is the creator and ruler of all, so it will have to be him who can provide for the needs of those that we cannot and do not have the resources. And ultimately, God saves through the Besalah of Yeshua and transforms lives through the Ruach HaKodesh. But it is our job to bring them the message, to be a reflection and testimony of the Mashiach and be a light in the darkness. So let's close with a word of prayer. Adonai God, uh, I thank you for the opportunity to go through your word and to uh, come to a better understanding of uh, how you would call us to help those who are in need. Uh, I hope that this, and I pray that this message has been helpful to us as a community and that it would produce action as well as a change of heart and that you would uh, lead us in the way of righteousness to help those who are in need and to bring people into our community so we can help them uh, as brothers and sisters. I thank you for this, Lord. And I pray all this, B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, Adonai. Amen.